My name is Pastor Edwin Cologne, and I'm uh, one of the pastors here. And today we're going to talk about being a family of service in a world of selfishness. When I think of serving, you know who I think of? My mom. My mom struggled with a lot of stuff. She was a paranoid schizophrenic. She was bipolar. She was really ill all uh, the life that I knew her. Um, but I never saw somebody serve people so selflessly like she did. She was amazing at that. In fact, if there's any kindness in my life, the Lord put it there through her. Well, you have people like that in your life, isn't that true? People who have served you, people who have done for you when you didn't deserve it, when you didn't merit it, when you, maybe some of you weren't even asking for it, and yet they knew you needed to be served, and they served you. We all have that. See, in our community, we want to strongly become a people of service. There's a, a story told about the difference between heaven and hell. You know the difference? So in hell, there's a banquet, and the banquet is lavish and extraordinary. And then there's this gap uh, between the people and the banquet on either side. And so those in the banquet have 10-foot spoons, and so they dig into the food, and then they try to bring it back, but as they bring it back, it all falls down. And that's hell. And then heaven is a banquet. And this beautiful, rich, wonderful foods that don't gain one pound. And there are people on either side. And there are these 10-foot spoons in heaven. And they dig into the dish. But here, they feed each other. Because heaven is, is where the one Heaven was created by the one who served us to the very end. We follow a serving Savior. And so today we're going to talk about what it looks like to be in this new family of Jesus. We've been in this series and we've been talking about being a community. Of what does it look like to be in the new family of Jesus? Because we all have cultural stuff family stuff that we all grew up with. And some of it was real good, and some of it not so much. And so we bring all of that stuff in here, and so we're saying, how now shall we be as this new family of God? Well, we're supposed to be. God is leading us to be. He's going to strengthen us to be. A community, a family of service in a world of self-seeking, in a world of selfishness, in a world of me first. Oh, that, it can be painful. But God is leading us into that. Today, and there's a bunch of scriptures I could have chosen. Today we're gonna to be looking at Mark chapter 10, verses 35 and 45. Now, you're going to need this message. Those of you who are naturally given to serve, you're gonna need this message. 
because you're going to be reminded by the basis by which you serve. You don't serve because you're a kind person or a good gal. You serve because someone has served you. And those of you who are not given to service, you see needs, and it's not like a big deal for you to meet the need. For you, you're going to have an opportunity, a real opportunity to ask the Lord to give you a heart of service, eyes to see, to meet needs of others. If you're single, this is super important. Why? Because you want to marry a servant. You want to marry someone who serves. And if you're going to marry someone like that, you're going to want to be that kind of person. If you're married, this is so important for you. Because most, I've I've done a lot of marriage counseling. I mean, like, a lot. I have, like, 31 years of marriage experience myself. And then I have, like, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of vicarious marriage experience. You know what I mean? Like, I've counseled people, and I've experienced their lives, and I'm like, wow, I've learned a lot. And so... In marriage, you will find that many of your problems will stem from a refusal to serve. So it's so important for singles and marriages. It's so important for all of us in every stage of life. Let's look at what the Bible would have to say about it. In Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 45, would you please stand with me? I want our bodies to be reminded that God's word has authority and that and that we hold him in esteem and reverence. Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 45. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Pause. Do your prayers start that way? I bet they do. Mine do. This is like the most base prayer that we have. God, we want you to do whatever we ask. Well, that didn't start with us. Verse 36, what do you want for me to do for you? Jesus asked. They replied, let one of us sit on your right and the other on your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup? I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong for those to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them? Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and give his life as a ransom 
for many. That ends the reading of God's word. Please have a seat. Now, before we get to the place where we need to talk about our service to one another and our service to the community at large, we need to talk about who served us first. So we're going to start at verse 45, the very last verse that we read. Did you see it there? It said, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. A ransom. Isn't that an interesting? What's a ransom? A ransom is when you have to pay an incredible amount of money to get someone out of captivity. Does that make sense? So someone is captive. They call up and they say, we want a hundred, ten thousand, fifty thousand. We want a hundred thousand dollars if you want your cat back. And you go, I'll pay. And so you go and you go to the mailbox and you drop off the 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 big sum, $100,000, and then you hear off in the distance, and you go, Kitty, you're back. And then you take them, and you go, you paid, you, what, what did you do? The, the cat was captive. You paid an exorbitant amount to free the captive cat. That's what a ransom is. That means that what the scripture is saying, he's saying that you and I need to be ransomed. Isn't that interesting? You might say, Psh, especially if you don't believe this stuff, if Jesus is just a good guy and he's like, yeah, you know, I like Jesus, he's all right, but he's not like God, he's not like, I'm not gonna follow, I'm not gonna surrender my life to him, you know, it's Jesus. You know, it's, I like him, but he's not like all that. <laughs> if that's you, then you go, no, 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 I'm not a captive. I'm not a captive. You go, because if, you're, if you need to be ransomed, that means that you're captive. In fact, that's the first uh, piece of information that you have to know. What does Jesus giving his life as a ransom mean? First one, first thing it means, and this is the bad news, we're captive. We're captive. You're a prisoner. You go, I'm not a prisoner. I do whatever I want. Let me tell you something. The ones who are the most captive are the ones who are imprisoned and don't know it. And so, it's po so for instance, if I come and uh, if someone comes rather and, and grabs you and, and ties up your hands and, and puts tape over your mouth and then keeps you in a dungeon, you're awake. You know you're captive. And so you're doing everything you can to break free. You're trying to fight off, right? Does that make sense? But if you don't know you're captive, they hit you in the back of the head and you're just knocked out and you're tied up the same way, you're not trying to break free. You're captive. Some of you are captive to a secular idea of life that all that is is all you can see. And there's nothing invisible about this world. There's nothing about God. It's like God is okay on a, as an idea for a crutch, but he's not, like, he's not like someone to give your life to. 
or or God is like many splendor thing. Like you know, there are there are Buddhists and there are Muslims and there are Jews and there are Christians and there are Sikhs and and everybody. You know, and it's all we're all going to end up in the same place. Don't worry about it. It's just all good. Captive, you're captive because Jesus is saying something totally. He has to do something so that you might be set free. That's the first thing that it means to be captive. And then, how did Jesus do this? Well, what's the second thing that the ransom means? And this is the good news. Jesus has come to be our substitute. See, in the cat ransom story, it was the $100,000 that was going to substitute the place of the cat. In other words, the cat was captive. Now the 100,000 is captive, but you get the cat. Make sense? In this place, what did Jesus pay? What was the payment? Oh my. All of his blood. He paid it all. And you go, what do you mean Jesus paid it all? We'll talk about that a little bit further in the, the story. But the price that Jesus had to pay, and this is the, the, what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that you and I have this thing in our lives. It's this bent, this willingness to rebel against God. Wanting to do us rather than surrendering to God's will. The Bible calls that, it's an old-fashioned word. The Bible calls it sin. And you and I are captive to sin. And because of that, because of that, we, we are deserving of the wrath of God. We're deserving of the wrath of God. If that's tough for you to sort of absorb, like if you go, well, you know what? I don't like this kind of talk. I don't like the kind of talk that says, you know, I serve a loving God, not a wrathful God. I just, would you just give me a minute of your time? Honestly, let's just, let's, let's fight together. How could your God be loving and not have wrath? I just don't know how. Let me, let me, give, let me share it with you another way. I have six children. If anyone tried to harm those children, what kind of response do you think those children, the, that, that person would get from me? Do you think that they would go, oh, you're trying to harm them, look at you. Oh, come, come, you need a hug, come here, come here, I'll give you a hug. You, you, you wouldn't expect me to respond like that, right? If someone tried to harm your children, you would respond, why? How would you respond? Maybe with real wrath. Why? To the degree of your love. That's how you would respond. If somebody else was having a fight across the street, you would be like, oof, that's scary, let me go. But if they were your child, oh my goodness, you would be like, oh no, put the Vaseline on your face. You'd be like, oh, it's on and popping. Would you not? Truly, right. Why? Because there's a love there 
there's a love there that wasn't before. Wrath is born out of love. And if God really, really loves you, how does he feel about sin ravaging your life? Keeping you captive, destroying your future, harming your marriage, devastating your single life, messing with your conscience. You think God is like, oh boy, that looks pretty bad. That's pretty terrible. Or do you think God is like, yeah, uh-huh. This is about, right? You think God is a God of profound love and therefore profound wrath. Jesus, who is God, takes the wrath of the Father. He's a propitiation. It's an old word. It's not even used in the newer translations. It's the propitiation. He satisfies the wrath of the Father on your behalf, on mine. It's good news. It's good news once you know how bad we are and how much he had to pay because it wasn't 100,000. It was so much more. Okay, so there's bad news and there's good news when it comes to this concept of service because you and I needed to be served and the one who served us did it at great cost, at great price of his life. You have been served in glorious ways. But we move from there and we see in verses 42, we're kind of working our way backwards. What does Jesus giving his life mean for us? Well, we see it in 42 and 44. His laying down his life for us does something. And here's what it does. Write this down. And by the way, if I didn't tell you before, inside your bulletins, you have what we call a sermon map. And it's a way to follow along. So if you didn't bring your Bible today, it's okay. We got you covered. And the scriptures are there and the notes are there. You can just write in there. If you don't have a pen, um, share with your neighbor. They'll love to serve you that way. What does Jesus giving his life mean for us? Here's what it means. It means a new position that creates a new mission. Does that make sense? Jesus gives us a new position in life. Unlike our old position, which was all out for self, all out for me, all out for I, all out for what's best for numero uno, Jesus gives us a new position, different, creates a new mission for us. Do you see it in verses 42 through 45? It says this, you can see it in your bulletin or in your Bible. Jesus called to them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Someone say, not so with you. you. Man, tell your neighbor, not so with you. Right. Listen to me. Not so with you. It's not. Listen. We, as followers of Christ, don't throw our weight around. The higher you go up in ministry, the more lower you must go if we're going to look like Jesus. Not so with you. Instead, 
Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. How's that? I've heard so many people come up. Even yesterday, uh, someone came up to me and said, yeah, I want to come to the church and I want to become a pastor. I'm like, that's awesome. And I always say, my, my response is always the same. My, my response is always the same. I'm always like, that's awesome. That's fantastic. We need more pastors. That's fantastic. I've never heard someone say, you know, I just really want to be a servant of all. Because it's not like glamorous. It's not pretty. Like, you know, you think, oh, you get to be up here. People listen to you. It's a servant. It's a new position that creates a new mission. And verse 44, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. That's crazy, right? Because you go, I ain't nobody's slave. May I suggest that that's the problem? That the only person that you're a slave to is your own desires and that in doing so you create your own problems. In your singleness, in your marriage, with your finances, with what you give yourself to. You're going to be a slave to something. The doctor comes by and he says, I think you've been a slave to midnight snacks. You need to taper. You need to move from that slavery. The internet, uh, your eyes start going because you're watching so much stuff on the internet. It's like, I think you're a slave to entertainment. I, th- I, think, I think you're a slave to whatever makes you feel better. That's why it's possible, this is why we're not serving as others serve. It's possible to be an outward servant and an inward self-centered person. You see, it's possible, it's why am I serving? Well, I'm serving so that they could say, boy, that Edwin, he's a real servant. What a good, oh my goodness, he's great. And I serve so that when I ask my friends when I need help, hey, I'm moving on June 21st, won't you come and help me? I'm expecting them to tell me, yes, I'll be there early in the morning. Why? Because I served them, but I didn't serve them. I was manipulating them. I wanted to make sure that they give me what I needed. See, but no, when we come to Christ His salvation gives us a new position that creates a new mission. I get to serve. This is why. Listen to me. If you serve in this church and nobody gives you a pat on the back, you're like, it's okay. I didn't do it for the pat on the back. I did it because Jesus has served me so well. Or you come to this church and you're like wiping down the seats and cleaning everything up for the next day's service. And it's like, oh my gosh. Each, per, each chair represents a person. God, anoint the person that you're And you're doing it because you've been prayed for. You've been loved. You've been served by Jesus himself. You go, but it's totally inconvenient. To which Jesus comes in in verse 45 and says, For the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to be served. Um, not to be served, but to serve and give his life. I mean... The people that Jesus had to give his life for weren't people who were very grateful. 
In fact, if you recall, at the very beginning of this, this discussion starts because two guys go, hey, can you give us the prominent positions? I want to be on your right. My brother wants to be on your left. Talk about not wanting to serve, wanting to have the accolades, all the lights, the big lights on me. Oh, no, beloved. Oh, no. And then it's funny because it says that the ten were indignant. They were upset, the ten, the other uh, followers of Christ. And the only reason they were probably upset is because they didn't have the guts to ask the very same question themselves. They probably felt it. It's like, you beat me to it. Because we all want to be celebrated. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. That's not, not so with you, remember? Not so with you. Jesus has saved us to serve. Jesus has saved us to serve. Jesus has saved us to serve. Nobody else is serving. It's okay because I've been so deeply served by Jesus. I've been ransomed and paid, paid the price for me that I can serve others when no response is coming my way. No accolades, no attaboys, none of that. Jesus talks about this and we're going to close. Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking for in verse 38. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? Okay. Whenever you hear about the cup in the Bible, it's very interesting. Follow it throughout the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. Whenever you hear about the cup, it's speaking about the wrath of God, what we just talked about. And the reason that God has wrath is because he has real love, not fake love. He has real love. And real love gets upset when your kids are being attacked. And God is very serious about how sin attacks and destroys our lives. And so Jesus drunk the cup of wrath. And then he tells us, you see what he does with James and John? He goes, you can't drink the cup I drink. And he's right. They couldn't. They couldn't pay for their own sins, let alone anyone else's. But then he comes back just a few verses later and he says, you will drink the cup. And here's what Jesus means. Jesus means, and I'm sorry, this is the only thing I could find that was big enough. So if it reminds you of, like, bad days. Um, I'm sorry. Or maybe really good days. Who knows? <laughs> All right. So Jesus, Jesus, Jesus had to drink the whole cup of God's wrath. You and I. It, in order for us to have drunk that kind of wrath, we would have to pay in hell forever. Jesus did it for all because he was infinite. And he says, okay, all right, you're not going to be able to drink my cup. You're not going to be able to serve the way I serve. You're not going to be able to ransom others. Do you know what he says? I got a little cup for you. And it's not, it's certainly not this. 
But in the family of God, I want you to serve. And then you go, look. Then you go, oh God, I can't take it anymore. It's too much. You sadist, why are you asking me to sacrifice so much? And Jesus is going, please, tell me more. See what I'm saying? Serve. 